Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. So among other things, this is the darkest week of the year. And we have become very accustomed of using dark, darkness as a metaphor in our world, in our lives. We've grown up using that language. We refer to bad situations, circumstances, something that hurts our family, something in the news. We'll, we'll use dark language. God does this all throughout his story in Scripture. He refers to the darkness of this world. When we saw this just a moment ago, when, when humans chose selfishly, we wanted to take control, it left this world not whole, not complete, but in the metaphor we use is dark, in darkness. We have now things that we're very familiar with, like anxiety. Anxiety determines so much of our future for a lot of us. It's the way we look at the world, fear, worry. We become really good as humans at things like disconnection, division. We become defensive. You know, I thought when Amy and I got married that we were nice people. I thought she was wonderful in so many ways. And uh, we hadn't been married very long before we realized how defensive we can be. It's like, where is this coming from? Bullying, broken relationships, divorce. This has become the story of humanity. Dark, this is what God means when he refers to this metaphor, this, this, this constant picture of the human condition. And then, then we have having to say goodbye to people we love. There's something in this world that we, we understand isn't the way it should be. We say goodbye to grandparents and parents and siblings and friends. And in our grief and in our anger, there's something driving us that tells us in the DNA of our soul this is not the way it's supposed to be. The old Hebrew word shalom means life whole, everything whole, financially whole, relationally whole, laughter fills your life. Your relationships are beautiful and good and whole. And we have this contrast of what we know should be, what we want, what we crave, and yet what we see and what we experience. Now, if you're not a Star Wars fan, just give me a moment here, okay? I know it's Christmas Eve. Just, just <laughs> please give me this second here. Um, I think in all the Star Wars movies and now the, the mini television series, possibly, in, in my opinion, I'd say the, the best written Material in all the Star Wars canon, I think, just played a couple months ago in Andor. It, it was so good. It wasn't quite as much action as we're used to as Star Wars fans, but the, the, the writing, the story, the backstory on how dark the Empire became so early in, in the epic drama that we know, and how passionate and defiant the rebellion came to push back on the dark. You know what's funny about these, these stories? Many of you will, will talk with me. We'll, we'll talk out here in the lobby on Sunday mornings. You know, before we leave, we're talking with passion about the episode this week. Or did you know that Anakin 
Did you, I don't know what's happening behind me, but you guys do, I don't. Well, we just, it's like we get so animated and passionate and excited about stories that we know are make-believe. We know they're fiction, and yet we text each other, and we have watch parties together. And it's true of Harry Potter, and it's true of Avatar and Lord of the Rings. It's just, there's something in the fiction, there's something in the make-believe that taps a reality that we know is true. Something's wrong. Something's broken. We need rescue. We need this heroic moment. We don't want to be defensive. We don't want broken relationships. We want to have hope and confidence about the future. I think in our love for fiction and knowing that it relates somehow to something innate that we know is true, that this world can be righted, there can be a correction, there can be good we don't have to say goodbye to our loved ones. That should be the world that we're in. And we consume this fiction. It's so easy to put Jesus. It's so easy to put tonight into that category of metaphor. And I, I've done it. Uh, early in my faith, I would just struggle with, but how do I know this isn't just legend? And it's interesting what the Bible writers do. You know, John tells us that Jesus came to dwell among us, God made his dwelling here, and darkness could no longer push back on this light. This was a different kind of light. This began to correct what went wrong long ago in humanity. And Matthew starts the account of Jesus' life in such a compelling way. I used to think it was boring. I couldn't believe growing up in church that the story of Jesus in Matthew's account, Matthew's the first writer of the New Testament, he begins with a family lineage, and it just couldn't be more mind-numbing, I thought. Like, you've got to be kidding me. This is the greatest story ever told, and we're just reading this list of grandparents? And see, what Matthew was geniusly doing and what the gospel writers, the recorders of Jesus' life were doing, you know, there wasn't a, a New York Times building. There wasn't, like, a computer and journalists sitting at... But they were employing... The most, credible, the most credible writing technique to talk about fact and reality in saying these are real people that he's come from. These are real towns and villages. You can go to the villages. You can ask questions yourself. Matthew placed Jesus in history. He didn't begin with language that started like some kind of once upon a time or this is this is make-believe, or this is some kind of Greek mythology that you're used to hearing. This really happened, Matthew tells us. This is historical events that I'm writing about. Luke tells us at the beginning of his gospel account that this, this has been researched. I've traveled. I've talked to eyewitnesses. And then, of course, so many of these people would give their lives. They would die for what they saw and what they believed in. It's so interesting, it's, 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 it's so important to understand that Matthew doesn't begin with once upon a time language. He begins with the exact opposite. This is reality. These are real people in real places. And Jesus was born in this circumstance because he wasn't giving us advice. Matthew and the other writers were writing news. They were writing and presenting good news, not good advice. See, if Jesus was a metaphor, he's good advice. And that's how we read the New Testament a lot. I hear people treat the New Testament and the stories of Jesus as metaphor. 
And see, if he's metaphor, what you and I do is what we do with the other stories. We look for the virtue in the story, and we try to become that character. If Jesus was metaphor, then you need to become the hero. You need to become the rescuer. You need to save your family. You need to reverse the dark in your own life. But Matthew says, no, this isn't metaphor. This is real. This is reality. And what he's doing is he's telling us we're not announcing advice. We're announcing news. See, advice tells you that something needs to happen. Something needs to be chosen. A behavior needs to be decided on. News tells you that's happened. Someone's done that thing. Advice tells you it's up to you. You need to choose rightly. You need to be the courageous one. News tells you someone else chose courageously. Someone else has done it. And so much of our world sees Jesus as good advice, some kind of metaphor, some kind of legend. And man, when this switch happened for me, like, wow, I think this actually happened. These writers are talking about somebody who actually came. These were real towns. These are real eyewitnesses who would later die for their faith. See, this moves you away from advice. There's no moral to the Christmas story. There's no something that you now get up and have to become yourself. Someone else has done it. And that's the nature of news. It's hard to believe it's been almost a year since Ukraine was invaded. I think it was about 10, minutes, 10, 10, 10 or 11 months ago. And I remember the night, I, the, the day the invasion happened, I remember my girls came home. A lot of you know Mackenzie and Reagan. They're 24 and 21. And they come in the kitchen watching their brains try to process the news. They didn't know the Gulf War. Some of you served us in Iraq and Afghanistan and in the Gulf Wars. They didn't know 9-11. They didn't know the Cold War. My girls didn't know Vietnam. They, and they're in the kitchen. There's tears. There's anger. There's questions that I can't answer. And essentially, they were saying, this, this, is, this isn't right. This isn't supposed to happen. A country just can invade. We can just decide to, you know, and it's, it's rational people trying to get their heads around. Just someone decided to do this. Innocent people are dying. And so we're having this emotional conversation. And you, you had these conversations, I'm sure. And see, when the news broke, it was news. The word gospel, the presenters of the story of Jesus, they are gospel writers. That is news. And gospel means extraordinary, remarkable news. Like, we say good news in English, but it's like remarkable news. The best kind of news. And it is, is war, uh, using war as an example, we, we, we see the difference between advice or advisors and, and, and news. When the news broke, it was actually news. It was bad news. Somebody's done something. But soon after, in the newspapers and on television, a lot of what we've heard this year is advice. You need advisors during war. Women and children, where do they go? Where, how, do, how do we protect them? There are these towns, refugee camps. There's towns in Poland. We, we, we as a church helped a, a small town in Poland that took in hundreds of refugees. NGOs and churches and nonprofits, like, where do we send water? 
and food and clothing. Advisors are needed. They tell you where to send, how to, how to get the funds quickly. Military supplies, allies. You need advisors. Ship your supplies to this port or to this border town. Much of what we've been hearing this year is advice and advisors talking. You need to protect. You need to shelter your family. We need to get food and water. Here's what needs to be done. That's advice. But when a leader, when a president, when a king pushes back the dark, when they defeat the invaders, you don't need advisors anymore. What do you need when that happens? You need messengers. Angelos is the New Testament word. We translate it angel. An angel is a messenger. And the messengers announcing Jesus are announcing something that's happened. Glad tidings. Extraordinary news. This has been done. You don't need advice. You need the news of what someone else has done. Advice tells you what you need to do to get us out of darkness. To stop the defensiveness. To push back on the anxieties and worries and fears. And the broken relationships and the guilt that you carry. Some of us were so defined by choices we made in the past, we can't make different kind of choices in the future. We're so dictated by our guilt. But see, the New Testament writers are writing news. There's no moral to the story. It's an announcement. Jesus did it. He did what we can't do. He has freed us. He's given us the ability to see heart change happen. And no longer... This is maybe like a sign that I'm just talking too long, I guess. I don't know. Um, are things falling? Is that what's happening? Okay. Like some, I'm thinking of some kind of a joke of, God, we're listening. We're, I'm going to hurry up. You understand what I'm saying? We live often as if this is advice, and now I need to, in my talent, in my ability, as if I'm going to become the superhero but see, news, that's not what news is, news. The gospel, writers, the great extraordinary news, somebody's already done it. At Christmas, we're just left with the invitation. What do you do? How do you respond? Are you going to continue as a refugee? You're going to continue to hide in fear because of what, how others have treated you, the way you've been treated in the past, because of broken relation. Maybe you're afraid to love because you've seen someone not love. But if you say yes to the Christmas invitation that someone's done something to begin to undo the dark, to reverse the effects of dark, well, then you step and walk, and yes, in faith and trust that this one who has power of the dark can change the dark in me, can change the dark in the world around me. I actually, because of him, could begin speaking light and life, and hope, and looking at the future differently. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is the invitation to that. So I'm going to pray with you here. It's something that you do on Christmas Eve and gatherings like this. Of course, there's going to be a prayer, and I'm just begging you. I'm pleading with you. Don't let this, don't allow this to just be a Christmas prayer. You know how many years I've done this now? 
I had uh, my girls came in the closet to try to help me. Like, I want to, I just want to, what should I wear? What should, they're trying to, they're, ar- they're arguing over what I should wear. We get so wrapped up in traditions and how we're going to look. And let's be on time at church on Christmas Eve. And it's just part of what we do every year. But man, if this really happened, I am more convinced than ever that this actually happened. God actually came to this planet. He loved us so much that he came here to begin the undoing of what you and I will never in our science and our technology and our medicine. And thank God for medicine and for science will never, ever be able to reverse the brokenness of the human condition through science. We need something that can push back and undo and reverse the dark that is in every single one of us. And I believe it's happened. The news has been announced. Someone else has done it. He carried the burden. And you and I are left with, how do we respond? We can continue in fear We can treat it like legend, some kind of mythology, or we can step and begin to walk and trust the one who can undo these things, the ugly and the regrets and the shame that you don't want anyone to ever see. He can undo all of that. That's what excites me about Christmas. I love Christmas more than ever because I believe this happened. I believe our God made this possible for every one of us. So my prayer tonight is that Jesus, we would not just give token time here to a concept that's sweet, this kind of spiritual warm feeling on a cold night, that we would say yes to the one who made it possible for dark to be shattered, to be pushed back on. That the hole that we crave, the idea that life could extend forever, that we don't have to be separated from our loved ones, that I can actually grow in my character and have an ability beyond myself to to heal other relationships, to, to reconcile, to give hope, to tell my story in a way that draws people toward life. That's your desire for each of us. God, may we step in trust in you, as we trust you, into that world, into that new reality. God, I thank you so much for Christmas. It would have been pretty remarkable if you just hovered in the clouds for a couple minutes and announced how much you love us. John says you made your dwelling here. You came to live in our chaos, in our betrayal, in our shame, our regrets, in our diseases, the bad reports from doctors. And the power that you walked out of that tomb with is power over death, hurt, harm, the past, guilt, family habits, traits we learned from our parents. You have the ability to undo and move us toward whole and life and light, which is what we deeply crave. So tonight, on this Christmas Eve, we say yes to you, Jesus. We say thank you. 
And may we begin tonight, some of us for the first time, a life of worship where we revolve every aspect of our lives around you, the one who makes whole and the one who turns dark into light. We begin that story tonight, Jesus. Merry Christmas to you, our God, our rescuer. Thank you.